of beginnings. And we see that Genesis is the book of beginnings. Of course, you have those handouts. Uh, you were going to have to stay after class if you missed that because it's the first thing on the handout. Uh, but Genesis is the book of beginnings. Basically, so if you want to know the Bible and really know the Bible, the best place to start is Genesis. Why? Because everything is based off of how God makes his story of creation for his people, that God is seeking to bring his people to him, why we need him. Everything is foundational in Genesis. We'll see a lot of stuff. We're going to see giants in the book of Genesis. We're going to see floods in the book of Genesis. We're going to see rebellion in the book of Genesis. We're going to see all sorts of things in the book of Genesis. But today is a major introduction to Genesis. And um, Genesis is a book that's written, and I want to take a second to stop uh, for all of you who are watching by Facebook or YouTube or Encounter360.org or on Speak Life Today on the podcast. We want to welcome you to our first uh, part of our introductory study of Genesis. And so we want to say welcome. Everybody say welcome. <laughs> there are a lot of people um, that are, are actually coming along with us, and we're glad for that. So the book of Genesis is written, and does anybody know who authored Genesis? Who said this? Somebody said it. Who said this? Moses. Moses is accredited with authoring the book of Genesis in the first five books of the law called the Pentateuch or the five vessels or the five books. Uh, and so when you hear the word Pentateuch or you hear the word Torah, it's it's accredited to Moses. Moses wrote those. And Moses would have been the most per the perfect person to write those because where was Moses raised? He's raised where? In Egypt. So he was in Pharaoh's house. God has a plan for your life, even when you don't know what that plan is. Although many people would have been illiterate, guess who's not going to be illiterate? The person who's raised in Pharaoh's house. <laughs> so Moses is raised in Pharaoh's house, and Moses is highly educated. He was a prince of Egypt. He was under underneath Pharaoh. So as Moses is writing these things, he's bringing together some things uh, and putting these narratives together that he's either brought together from oral tradition or the, from writings that have already been there to put together a book that the Hebrew people would have to know their God. Keep in mind that this is happening probably during the time of Exodus. So when Moses is writing this, this is coming to people who are out of the wilderness and have been in the wilderness 400 years. They've been in Egypt for 400 plus years and they're now in the wilderness and they need to know about their God and they need to know about their origins. So we're going to see some wonderful things. As a matter of fact, if you could pull up that map, the first map we have, that color map, I want you to kind of see where the framework is uh, for Genesis. Uh, Genesis is around the Middle East. This is where we're going to start, and that's where all, all things start. I think they're, they're getting that map up. They'll have it up in a second. But I want you to kind of get a visual of where, where this is happening. Uh, it's the other map, but we can use that one too. Uh, and you see right here, they don't know exactly where Eden is, but they do know around the location. There are four rivers that are indicated in the in Genesis, which are the Tigris, the Euphrates, which we see those today, and the Pishon and the Gihon. Um, this is going to be around Mesopotamia area, the Fertile Crescent, around where Lath is from, uh, around that, that land of Ur, the Chaldees, uh, that the early, the early people in Genesis would have looked much like Lath in complexion and height, um, maybe a little bit shorter, hair short. Um, this is where, where we get the beginning of creation. So it's important. It's also important to know that Hebrew people write in poems. So when you read um, the book of Genesis, a lot of Genesis is poetic. You might not know it, but they write in poems just like we learned in poems. And guess what? They learned in poems and songs. And you will see parallels that you don't know are in the Bible. For instance, when we get to day one of Genesis, 
you'll notice that the Lord separates the light and the darkness. And he separates three things on day one, day two, and day three. And then succinctly, he comes right back and fills those. So on day one, it matches day four. Day two, it matches day five. Day six, uh, day three, it matches day six. So God separates the light in the darkness. And then he comes back on, on day one, on day four, he comes back and he puts stars and sun in the sky to fill those things. So he separates and he fills those things. So it's important for us to know those things. Now, there are different camps of people who are what you call uh, six dayers uh, or people who believe the earth was created in six days. I believe that, that the earth was created in six days, that God created those in the six days and then he rested. There are other people that believe that it's allegory and it's meant to show what God did, but he did it in a much longer time frame. We're not going to spend much time on those things. We need to get into the important things of it. But you see a lot of things you see in the beginning. If you want to know how something starts, there is something in theology called the law of first mention. If you really want to know the meaning of a thing in the Bible, look at what, how it was first mentioned in the Bible. So if you want to see the perfect creation of family, where should you go? Genesis. If you want to know uh, gender roles, where should you go? Genesis. If you want to know about marriage, you should go to Genesis. You see from this first page, the beginning of the universe and everything that's in it. See that? The beginning of human life, the beginning of marriage, the beginning also of unbelief, the beginning of sin, the beginning of false concepts of God. In other words, people begin to have false concepts of God in their mind. The beginning of personal shame and self-rejection, the beginning of interpersonal tensions, the beginning of guilt, the beginning of physical suffering and death, the beginning of God's judgment, but also, praise God, the beginning of grace. Can somebody say amen for that? Amen. The beginning of salvation, the beginning of climatic and geological disturbances, the beginning of the races. Uh, although there's one race we see where ethnicities come from in the beginning of uh, in the beginning of Genesis, there's only one race, the human race, but we see where those things are split. If you'll pull up the uh, other map, uh, I, I can begin to show you uh, those things. I don't know if they'll be able to pull it up. They may have a few issues back there, but that's okay. So that's the type of things that are in Genesis. And as you study these things this week, you'll begin to see different things. There are a lot of differentiations in Genesis. God made the light, then God created the great lights. Day two, God focuses on the water and the expanses, and then God created uh, the creatures in the waters to go in them. You see how that works? He creates three different days, and then on the next day, he begins to put things in them. So we're going to start. Uh, I want you to have an open mind and, and keep in your mind how we study Genesis because we're going to be good, taking a deep dive into it. So if we could, we're going to start at Genesis chapter one, but we're going to do it a different way. If uh, the media team, if you could pull up those white slides with the little Hebrew on them, because I want you to be able to see some things. It's important to see some things when you're up here. You guys don't say yes. You say for sure. <laughs> And you don't say no, you say, yeah, no, <laughs> and stuff like that, or, or, or no, yeah. And when you come to Michigan or places up north, you have to learn the what? Language, because what something means in one area, it doesn't mean in the other, right? So we need to learn what they're saying in the book of Genesis. And the, the first one is really simple. Uh, if somebody has Genesis 1-1 before we pull that up, everybody say, in the beginning. In the beginning is a powerful word because that means that life had a what? Origin. It had a what? A start. It has a start. And if it has a start, somebody had to what? Start it. Somebody logically had to start it. 
so those who believe in evolution and things like that, that takes more faith to believe that you came from some gloop or some ectoplasmic goop out of the middle of nowhere and that all the chances in life came that you could have life than it does to believe that there's an intelligent design. When you look around this building and you see these these, these rafters and these big pretty pretty uh pretty boards up here and all this stuff, when you look at it, you automatically know that it has a what? An architect, right? And a, a designer. It, it didn't design itself. So by looking at mankind and looking at the things, you can know that we have a designer. So it says in the beginning. And also, if there is a beginning, there has to be a what? End. So in our glorious hope, we know that there will be an end to all time and Christ is going to come and redeem us to himself. So the first thing it says is in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The first thing I want you to know is God. Everybody say God. God. In the beginning, God. In other words, that God's in the beginning, which means he exists outside of what? Time. If he was here before the beginning, then he is not confound by time. God is outside of what? Time. He is what? What's the E word? He's eternal. Thank you, Brother Bob. Which means that if he's eternal, he has no beginning and he has no what? End. Time exists inside what? Him. You'll notice as we go through this study, I'm not going to give away everything, but you'll notice that light comes to the earth before there's ever time. It's, it's a few days later when God creates that we actually see that the stars and the sun come out to be able, that he brings those forth, that they'll be able to create times and days and seasons. So we see in this beginning, and you'll see that on the screen, and some of you, they might have that on the screen over uh, on the screen, but I want you to see that, how they put that. In the beginning, God created. Now, that says, better seat, bara Elohim. I am not, uh, I, I'm not by any means a Hebrew scholar, but I, I can study. And what that means is, and it's, it's important for us to look at that word, bara. Now, the first person that looks at this is going to say, in the beginning, God created the heavens and earth. There are two different types of terms for created in the Old Testament. One means, and theologians say this, and you hear me all say this all the time, that God created the world ex nihilo. Everybody say ex nihilo. That means that he created it out of nothing. Uh, God created the world out of nothing, but that is not the type of word that God is using here. It says God bara. Everybody say bara. Bara means that he fashions from what is already what? There. So if he's fashioned it from already there, we already see that they're starting us. And many people believe this sometime a little bit after the, the earth was what? Created. So he's saying in the beginning, God created. And they use that term Elohim. Everybody say Elohim. Elohim is a plural term, a verb and form in Hebrew. And it's used the most times in, in Genesis. It describes God. It goes to the plurality of God. In other words, when you hear let us make man in our image, it means that we serve one God who is who is three what persons, the father, the son and the Holy Spirit. So when God was at the beginning, so was the Holy Spirit. And guess who else was there? Jesus. He was there in the what beginning. And we see that in John, because the Bible says in John one in the beginning was the Logos. And that means he's talking about Jesus. He says, in the beginning was the word and the word was God and the word was with God. And the he was there in the beginning with God and through him, all things were what? Made. So we see the Godhead or the Trinity 
right in the beginning. So he says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the what? Earth. So he's forming and fashioning the heavens and the earth. Pull up that next slide for me because I want you all, you all to see something in that because he says something that's phenomenal right there. He says, now the earth was formless and empty and darkness was over the surface of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Now, I want you to think for a second. Everything God made is what? It's good, right? But when you look at this, if you'll pull up that second slide, I want you to look at a word. And when you look at that word, the word void or um, wabahu, or wabahu and tohu mean formless and void. They mean desolate, basically wasteland, chaos. There is a scene of chaos in the earth. Can anybody guess where that chaos may have come from? That we see that God has created the earth. And when we see this, we see what? Everybody say chaos. chaos. Where does that chaos come from? Can anybody guess? No, nobody can guess. It comes from the dark. Let's pull up Luke chapter 10, verse 18. We're going to see where, where that possibly and potentially could have came from. Luke chapter 10, verse 18. And pray for our media team back there. They're going to be flipping back and forth. We're going to go to the book of Luke, chapter 10, verse 18. And if you have it, somebody can read that. But Jesus gives us a potential hint of what that could be as he's talking. Luke, chapter 10, verse 18. I'm flipping my Bible pages to get there. Um, I want you to see something. It's important. If you have it, you can start reading it uh, for us. But it says this. It says, he replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. He fell. And where did he potentially fall? So can you see a picture of Satan leaving heaven? And now he's entered the earth and the earth is what? Desolate. It's a wasteland. God is creating some things. Well, prove that. Everybody go to Ezekiel. Ezekiel chapter 28. The book of Ezekiel chapter 28. We're going to Ezekiel chapter 28. And if you want these notes at the end, I will give you these notes. So this don't, don't panic, but it's the book of Ezekiel chapter 28. If they can get that pulled up, I'm, I'm almost there. I want you to see something because there's a prophecy there. Uh, and it's considered to be a, a story of, of Satan. And I'm not going to read a little bit of it, not all of it, because we don't have enough time, but it says, and it's a prophecy against the king of Tyre. It says, the word of the Lord, Ezekiel chapter 28, Ezekiel chapter 28, starting at verse one. It says, the word of the Lord came to me, son of man, say to the ruler of Tyr, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Now, tell me who this sounds like to you. In the pride of your heart, you say, I am a God. I sit on the throne of the God in the heart of the seas, but you are a man and not a God. Think thou, though you think you are as wise as God, are you wiser than Daniel? Is no secret hidden from you, but your wisdom and understanding you have gained from your wealth. And it begins to talk about all sorts of things. And if you go down through 28, it begins to talk about how he has fallen, O son of the morning. And he talks about how he will lift his, his kingdom above that of, the, of God. Let's go to verse 11. Ezekiel chapter 28, verse 11, if you can pull it up on the screen. If you guys, if you can read that with me, let's read it. It says what? The word of the Lord came to me, son of man, take up a lament concerning the king of Tyre 
and say, this is what the sovereign Lord says. You were the model of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect and beauty. Now keep that up on the screen. Who does that sound like? Sounds like Lucifer, doesn't it? Let, let's keep reading that you were perfect in beauty. And it says what? Verse 13, you were in Eden, the garden of God. Oh, wow. That's amazing what you see in the Bible, right? And it says, let's keep reading. Every precious stone adorns you. In other words, his skin is made of precious rubies. He is beautiful. Wow. Every precious stone adorns you. Ruby, topaz, emerald, chrysolite, onyx, and jasper, sapphire, turquoise, and beryl. Your settings and mountings were made of gold. And on the day you were created, they were prepared. Mm. So he's beautiful, right? Now. We, this gives us very insight. Let's go to verse 14. What does it say? You were anointed as a guardian cherub for so I ordained you. In case you're wondering who he's talking about by now, it's kind of obvious who he, he's talking about, isn't it? You were ordained as a guardian cherub or so I ordained you. Let's keep reading. You were on the holy mountain of God. You walked among the fiery stones. You were blameless in your ways. From the day you were created till wickedness was found in you. You see that? <laughs> That's amazing. That's why the Bible says lay hands suddenly on no man. And it says that if a man's a novice in the faith that you don't put him up soon, but you, you give him a time to be proven lest he falls into the condemnation of the devil. Does anybody know what the condemnation of the devil is? Pride. <laughs> Pride. His, his condemnation is pride. You can see how pride is coming here. Now we're in, we're in verse 16. Let's read that. It says, through your widespread trade, you were filled with violence and you sinned. So I drove you in disgrace from the mount of God and I expelled you, O guardian cherub, from among the fiery stones. Your heart became proud on account of your beauty and you corrupted your wisdom. Because of your splendor, so I what? Threw you to the earth. Wow. Now, let's go back and say, in the beginning, God created or formed this time. Not ex nihilo, but bara, the heavens and the earth. And the earth was without form and chaos and void. And darkness covered the what? Face of the deep. Wow. You see that? So I threw you to the earth. I made a spectacle of you by, before kings by your many sins and dishonest trade. You have desecrated your sanctuary. So I made a fire come out from you and it what consumed you and it reduced you to ashes on the ground in the sight of all who are watching. All the nations who knew you are appalled at you. You have become you have come to a horrible end and will be no more. Wow. So let's come back to Genesis and we see right now that darkness is filled the deep. If we can go back to that white screen that has um, has that uh, has verse, verse two on it um, that has the scriptures on it right there. The earth was formless and without void and darkness was over the what face of the deep. And it also says later in that passage, if we go to the next one slide, guys, thank you. It says that the spirit of God hovered over the waters. Now, that word spirit of God is everybody say Ruah. Ruah. 
to Ruach, and you see it right there at the top of the screen, Ruach, but it's from the derivative of Ruach. Ruach means breath or wind, the spirit of God. In other words, the Bible says that God breathed into man the breath of life. He ruach into to man. Guess what? It says, and all the word Timothy uses it in this way in the New Testament, or he Paul's letter to Timothy, rather. He says, all scripture is inspired by God, or what? God, what? Breathe from the mouth of God. You hear this concept of wind when explaining the Holy Spirit all the time. You hear that with Nicodemus and Jesus, don't you? He says, when he asked him, how can I be born again? And Jesus says, you need to be born of the spirit. What does he start talking about? Wind. He says, the wind goes where it listeth, and no man knows from where it comes, and no man knows where it goes. And he says, the same as what? With the Holy Spirit. So you see, when you see the word ruach, man ruach into Adam or to mankind, and he became a what? Living soul. And so when you look at this, and you look at the derivatives of Genesis, and I was going to do an overview. I'm just going to start and go down, though. Are there any questions from that? Is this helping anybody? Yes. It's fascinating, isn't it? That we see that God is creating creation, and we see that God is beginning to borrow or form things. And you'll see later that he forms everything. He speaks over everything, but then he reaches down and pulls out dirt from the ground, muddy dirt, brown dirt, brown clay. And from that brown clay, he forms the first man, and he calls him man or Adam. Adam means mankind or man. We call him Adam, but that literally means man. He made man from the dust of the ground or from the marsh. He pulled man up basically from the mud and made a brown, ruddy man. That's what he made. The word Adam means mankind, but it also means ruddy is what he means. So he made him, and that kind of fits. Everybody, not to pick on life, but look at life. Look at Leif's complexion. Look at the area of what that Leif comes from. Look at the picture of the Middle East. So you see that from that, and we'll see where, where all, the, all, all our different pigmentations and things come from. We'll see that later now in Genesis. But God creates one what? Man. And one what? Woman. There is no such thing as race except the human race. We are all one. Anything that tells you anything else is a lie from the pit of hell and from the enemy. God made one man and one woman. He joined one man and one woman. And from that man and from that woman, everybody is made. Wow. So we're all cousins. We're all kinfolk, y'all. How about that? <laughs> yeah. I'm your cousin. Just don't ask me for money. I'm just <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> she said, now that you bring it up, I'm, I'm fresh out. I don't, I don't care cash on me later. <laughs> well, God brings the man in, and we're going to see that later down. We probably won't get that far in Genesis, but there, God fashions man, and he looks and he says, the one time he says, it is not good. He creates a woman from him, and Adam looks and says, I will call her Isha. That's what it means in the Hebrew, Isha, which means woman or man with a womb. For I am Ish. Ish is me. It means man in the Hebrew. And so you are flesh of my flesh and bone of my bone. We're going to take our time and, and, uh, and, and roll, roll down there. Uh, so we see a lot of beautiful things. So we see this. We see in the beginning, God's creating the heaven and earth. We see the earth is formless and empty and darkness is over the face of the deep. 
It's chaos. It's confusion right now. And so what is God good about? Taking chaos and making what? Order. He's a God of order. And the spirit of God is hovering over the waters. So for the rest of the night, we can pull up the scriptures. So let's go to Genesis 1-3. It says, and God said, what? Let there be what? Light. And there was light. Does anybody see a problem with that? Where do we get light from? Where's the sun? It's not here yet. God called light to be before there was ever a what? Sun. But we do have an inkling of how that happens because if we look in the book of Revelation, the Bible says, John said, there is no sun. How is heaven lit? The glory of God lights the city. So we see God as sovereign over creation, that everything that happens, God is sovereign. You know what that means? God does whatever he wants to, whenever he wants to, however he wants to. Everybody said God's the boss. So God looks and he just says, let there be and there is, which means that God, nothing is above God. He is the sovereign, uh, sovereign, all-powerful God. Uh, and he says, let there be light. And there was what? Light. Just that simple. And then he saw, of course, that he created it. So it's what? It's what? Good. And because it's good that he separated light from the darkness. We see a differentiation. You'll see those differentiations all throughout your studies that now God has separated what? Light from darkness. And he says it's what? Good. And the dark, the light he called what? Day. And the dark he called what? Night. You can only name something if you have authority over it. The reason you can name your children is because you've been given what? Authority over them. So if God is naming creation, theologically, we know that God has authority over all what? Creation. That all creation is subject to what? God. It has to obey him. If it's happening, it's only because he's what? Allowing it to happen. That's a powerful thought, isn't it? So he said, let there be, and there was evening and morning. And so God is starting on Sunday. Uh, Sunday evening, I believe he will be. He's starting his work then because the earth is created in six days. And on the seventh day, he rested. Does anybody know what the original seventh day is? It's Saturday. Saturday is the Sabbath. It was the Jewish Sabbath. Uh, it was the Shabbat. Shabbat. Uh, I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. That's, and that, that is when God rested. It wasn't that God rested because he was tired. It re he rested because he ceased from his labors. It's it doesn't mean God, who I'm tired now, I'm going to rest. No, he, he doesn't have need of anything. It just simply means that God ceased and that he created the Sabbath. We found out Jesus says that the Sabbath, wasn't, uh, the Sabbath was created for man, not man for the Sabbath. So it's important for us to get into that principle, but I don't want to get ahead of myself. So let's keep going. Verse 6. Is this fascinating to anybody else besides me? I love this. And it says, and God said he's about to separate something again. See that? Let the expanse between the waters, uh, between the waters to separate the water from the water. So God made the expanse or the earth and separated the water from under the expanse of the water above it. So we see continents and the continental divide coming up from the waters, right? And you'll see around the time of when they begin to get into genealogies and we talk about Peleg, they'll talk about the time when the earth split. It's amazing how much stuff is in the Bible 
that scientists are, are saying we found out that's already in the Bible. You can clearly look at the top of South America and figure out that it used to fit <laughs> in, into the bottom, the bottom left half of Africa. But we see that God is originally bringing up the water and he's separating those. He's bringing the earth up, right? Y'all see that? And so he says right here that uh, in the latter half of that, and it was so, verse 8, let's read it together. God called the expanse sky, and there was evening and morning the second day. Wow. So we're already on day two. And we'll see in a second, we're going to get a, a recap because verse chapter 2 is kind of a recap of that, the second day. And God said, what? In verse 9, let the water under the sky be gathered in what? One place. And let dry ground appear. So here come the continents. And it was so. And the dry ground he called what? Land. And get the gathered waters he called seas. And God saw that it was what? Good. Now, you see that God is creating everything he does. He does with a purpose. He's doing things in what? Order. We have an orderly God. We have a logical God. Logic comes from God. The faith and reason can work together. Some people will say that in order to be a person of faith, you have to give up reason. I submit to you that unless you are a person of reason, you won't be a good person of faith because all that reason and logic is, is discovering all the things that a wonderful, marvelous God has created. We discover the laws of aerodynamics and physics because it's something he's what? Created. We discover math and, and, and golden theorems and things because those things are designed by God that we have a divine architect. Do you know if we were one inch closer to the sun, life would be uninhabitable on the earth? We're not here by accident. We're by intent and design. Even Albert Einstein, who is one of the profound, most profound minds in the world, said that the more I study and learn physics and learn creation, the more I know that there has to be a creator. The Bible says that the fool says in his heart that there is no God. So if you look logically, you know that the, the universe has a what? An architect. And this is showing us the architecture. At any time, you guys can stop and ask questions because I want to be able to ask any questions that you have. If you have a question online, if you want to shoot us a, a, a message or something like that, maybe we'll, we'll do a short film or something addressing that. But he says, the land, verse 12, produced vegetation, plant-bearing seed according to what? its kind and trees bearing fruit with seed according to its kind. You see how powerful God is? He says, I'm not coming to plant trees every time. I'm going to create a plant that has the seed in it that will fall and build itself. Notice something. If you leave that parking lot out there as big as it is, that parking lot is about as big as a football field, leave it unattended for two or three years and watch what happens. It'll be covered in grass. <laughs> It'll be covered in vegetation because God has created the earth <laughs> to, to reproduce after his what? Own time. Go ahead, Brother Bob. That's true. Brother Bob said um, that it's a proven fact that in about 100 years unattended, any, any city would be covered by vegetation. And you can see that in dilapidated homes and cities and things like that. That God is po so powerful and so meticulous that he's created an earth that sustains his what? He's sustaining it, but it's reproducing by what? By the seeds that are in it. That, that's amazing that you see what kind of energy he's putting into this. We are not, there's no such thing as happenstance. That's important because that lets you know just how important you are. That he took 
care to make you. Everything else he spoke, when he got ready to make man, he came down and did it himself. He reached down into the mud and he fashioned you. He didn't speak to make you. He said, I'm going to make him. And I'm going to make him not just in the image of the baboon, not in the image of an ape, or not in the image of, of some Neanderthal. I'm going to make him in my image. We are made in what's called the Imago Dei, in the image of God. So you are an image bearer or a create image of the creator, which makes you uh, a vision of the, the father's excellence can be seen in you. So you shouldn't have low self-esteem because the creator made mankind. Every hair on your head is what? Number. Wow. This is good. So we're going to keep going. Verse 17. <laughs> God set the expanse of the sky to give light on the earth, to govern the day and the night, and to separate the light and the darkness. And God saw it was good. And there was evening and morning, the fourth, fourth day. In verse 20, and God said, let the water teem with living creatures. Now we see where he did it in the first day. Now we're going over to this day, the fifth day correlated. Now that he's created the expanse and he's created water, what's he going to do? He says, let the water, what? Team with living creatures and let the birds fly above the earth to cover the expanse. So God created the great creatures of the sea and the great living and moving things that from which the water teems according to their kinds every winged bird according to its kind, and God saw that it was good. Do you know that on the deepest levels of the, of the earth's floor, far where most people can't go, but they can send little drones and robots, there are still creatures down there that people don't know what they are. We still don't know all the things on this earth that God has created. Think about something. Dinosaur bones came from somewhere. He created them. Wow. Think about something that's powerful. Just a big gator. I'm from the South. A big gator might, might make you a little nervous. Can you imagine something as big as a T-Rex? And it's nothing to God. Can that get your attention of how powerful and mighty what God is? What? And we see that uh, Job talks about the Leviathan or the sea creature. We see some of those things. And we're not looking in the poetical book of Job, but we're in Genesis. This is powerful that God is making all these things and he's intentional about it. So God created these things in the winged birds. Verse 22, God blessed them and said, what? Be fruitful and what? Multiply, increase in number, fill the waters and the seas and let the birds increase on the earth. And there was evening and morning the fifth day. We're almost through creation. I was trying to beat that clock. That clock is working against me, but that's okay. We've covered a lot of stuff. Uh, and God said, verse 24, let the land produce living creatures according to their kinds and livestock, creatures that move along the ground and wild animals, each creature according to his kind. And it was so. And God made the wild animals according to their kind, the livestock according to their kinds, and all the creatures. So every, what does that mean? For every male donkey, he made a what? Female donkey. For every male elephant, he made a what? Female elephant. He made things after their what? Kinds. He made them in pairs. For the male human, he made a what? Female human. You can do the math. <laughs> we'll go from there. Verse 25. And it was so God made the wild animals according to their kind. Verse 26, rather. Then God said, wow, this is where we are. He's made everything on the earth. 
And finally, he says, let's read this together. Verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image. Wow. Stuff. In our what? Image. Satan's biggest lie was, and I'm giving away some of my thunder next week. He said that God didn't want you to eat this because if you eat this, he knows you'll know good and evil and you'll be what? Like God. But how did God make man? Wow. Isn't it amazing how crafty the enemy is? God made man in what? In, in, in his image. And we see that word Elohim, let us. See the plurality right there? In the beginning, we see the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So that debunks all the arguments that say, uh, the people that say, well, the Jesus is a gentler, kinder form of God. God wouldn't condemn, God would condemn this, or God would condemn that, but Jesus wouldn't condemn it. Everywhere God was condemning something, guess who was standing right beside him? So if God doesn't approve of it, Jesus doesn't approve of it either. Wow. So it's important for us to know theologically how things are set because he's with God at the what? Beginning. So he says, let us make man in our image and our likeness. And let's read that together. And let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over livestock, over all the earth, over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God is a creator and he is a ruler and he rules. So what does he do? He creates a dominion. He creates a man in his image and he gives him something to what? Rule. He gives him something to have dominion and authority over so that he can operate as God, as God operates in the heavens, that Adam or mankind would operate what? Within the earth. He has this authority, but we've seen in some other studies that we look at that those that authority was given away. He gave it away and that Jesus helps to recover that. He says, God blessed them. Verse 28. Let's read it together. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Now, I want to stop right there. He never told them to subdue each other. When we're trying to dominate people. That's not God. Come on. Come on. He told us to be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth and subdue it and to rule over those things. But because of sin, we'll see in a little bit that there becomes a separation. So God has a connection. He had, everybody said divine connection. Divine. We see from the beginning that there's a divine connection because God creates this brown, ruddy mud. Put, makes a brown ready man and then he blows his what spirit into it so there's an ultimate connection with what god so we have from that a divine connection we'll see next week probably that how sin disrupts that divine connection by choosing us choosing what we wanted to do so god blessed them and said be fruitful and multiply now let's see what he gives them let's read verse 29 then god said I give you every seed bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food and to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds of the air and all the creatures that move on the ground. Everything that has the breath of life in it. I give you every plant for food and it was so. So we see they don't start eating steaks just then. You don't, you don't see steaks come out to a long time. They're vegetarians. They live off of the seed bearing and the herbs. 
and things like that when they start. That's how God created. This is that's the original creation. We weren't going out killing killing the the cattle and eating them and things like that. Although I I love to do that. Um, it's it's a rather tasty animal, but that's not how it began. You see that? If somebody from Peter is looking at this, please don't email me. I won't look at it. I like tasty animals, and that's just how the way it is. <laughs> I, I give, I give, let's see what it says. I give every green plant for food, and it was so. And then he said, God saw all that he had what? Made, and it was what? Very good. He puts an explanation point on it as he put man there. And there was evening and morning the sixth day. And then we'll go over the verse one. He sees everything he's created. Now he's going to go back and go into detail. The first 11 or so chapters of, of Genesis are kind of general. They give genealogies and things, and it's important to, tell, to look at those genealogies, even though we don't like to, because they tell us our origin and where we come from. And they're very important uh, going down later. But we'll see a more in-depth look into the, the part of this poetic part of chapter two. And I have four minutes, so we're going to go ahead and start. There we go. <laughs> Y'all ready? Let's do it. Who's up for it? Everybody up for it? Let's, let's go. All right. Let's see verse, chapter two, verse one. It says, thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. God's completed everything. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he was doing. So on the seventh day, he ceased what? From his work. He created the world in six days. Now, some people will say scientifically that's impossible but he's God. He can do whatever he wants. We weren't there to prove it. And science has three rules. It has to be measurable. Anything scientific event has to be number one, measurable. You have to be able to measure it. You have to be able to observe it and you have to be able to repeat it. Since nobody that's that smart has measured creation, observed it, and they can't repeat it. I'm going to tend to stick with the person in here. Now, how you tend to to look at that, and if you think it was created, and this is allegory, and it was longer, that's fine. We will we'll, we'll debate that point, but I'm not going to take the time to debate that. But we know the crux of it is everything God made was what? Good. So God is good on the seventh day. He rested from his work, and God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. Because on it, he rested from the work of creating all that he has done. So when we enjoy a Sabbath, we are honoring who? God. It's the principle of the Sabbath. So verse four, it says, this is the account. Let's read that. This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created. So we should start over. How about that? We're going back in and we're going to get a deeper account. Let's read it. When the Lord God made the earth and the heavens and no shrub of the field had yet appeared on the earth and no plant of the field had yet sprung up for the Lord had not yet sent what? Rain through the earth. Rain comes after uh, a little bit further down in Genesis and watered the whole surface of the ground. The Lord God formed the man from the wet dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being from dust. Everybody said from dust I came to dust I'll return. You came from dirt. You're going to go back to dirt. If you're here when Jesus comes back, you may get translated, but this body's not going to heaven with you. It'll be a renewed and a translated body. And God made you from the dust of the ground. So that's important for us to know. We also know that God made the earth. So it's important 
for us to make sure that we take care and steward what he gave us, right? He gave us the earth to, 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 to rule it. So it might not be the best idea to take our oil and just pour it in the ground. Let's find a responsible way to get rid of it. Uh, you might want to recycle. My wife loves to recycle. Me, the recycling bin seems too far. But because I love my wife, I find a way to the recycling bin. <laughs> we try to find a way to take care of the earth that God has given us. And it says, and God, Yahweh, is what it says in verse 7, formed and breathed uh, into the dust of the ground, and the man became a living soul. Wow. So that means everybody that lives has value because you are breathed into or your breath, your very life comes from who? God. So every life is what? Precious. Whether it's inside the womb or out. Even the smallest ant, even the smallest zygote is precious. So it's not up to us to decide what life is not precious and what life is not. It's not up to us to terminate life because we can't, what, create it. I know that all the wind sucks out when we start talking about stuff like this, but the Bible says that I didn't. We see that we're made in the image of God. Now, if, if there's somebody listening or somebody who's actually had an abortion or something, there's grace for you. But we do, we do know that God created man in his what? Image. And if you didn't create the life, you don't have the right to what? You don't have the right to do that. So as a Christian, the world can do what they want to do. But as a Christian, we can't condone that, can we? We can't condone it. Um, we, we can't say that it's okay. Um, but if, if somebody's done that, we love them and, and we pray for them and we walk with them and let them know just like we get grace, God gives what? Grace. All right, the man became a living being. I'm out of time. I'm going to go right to verse 8, and then we're going to probably stop right there because uh, that's a great place to stop. That's almost like a movie. A movie, You know how they start the movies, and they, they end right before something good comes, and you get mad because they go straight to commercial right before you're watching Chop, and right when you're looking and you know who's going to get chopped, he, he, he puts his hand on the thing, and then they, they shoot the commercial. We're going to shoot the commercial. Let's, uh, let's look at verse 8. Let's read verse 8 and 9. Now the Lord God had planted a garden east in Eden, and there he put the man he had formed. So the whole world is made, but there's a section of the, the world called what? Eden. And God in the east corner of that place put a what? Garden. And the man he made, he put him there. And he says he put the man there he had formed. Verse 9, and the Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground. And trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food for this man. In the middle of the garden was the tree of life. And what's the other one? And the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Oh, wow. Can't you see how they're setting the stage for this? You can see, dun, 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 something's coming. <laughs> and we can see that God has given them plenty, but there's also something else there that he's placed. So now we've covered creation. We've covered some things that are in the middle and, and we've gone all the way through Ezekiel that some people might not interpret it that way. And that's their license to interpret it differently. But we've seen those things and we've seen God build the earth and he's put mankind in it and he's given them some things they can have. And we also see that he's given them some things that they're not yet to have. 
So with that, I want you guys to take that. I want you to study the things that you've been given on those handouts, to look at them thoroughly, look at them. And, and uh, Sunday, we'll pass out um, some of these other things with some of these uh, theological terms that are going to boggle your mind. But when you finish, you'll be stronger and you'll be better. We're going to talk about agnosticism and animism and atheism and deism and determinism and dualism and fatalism and all the other lisms and hedonism and materialism and naturalism and monism and monotheism and pan pantheism and panentheism and polytheism and secular humanism and spiritism and theism. Say that all seven times fast. <laughs> but we're going to be talking about these things because we're we're exploring the word and we're learning how to what the Bible says in first Peter that you should be able to be able to give a what defense for the faith that is in you. You should be able to know this word and we're going to combat Bible illiteracy. Uh, we're going to know our word. The Bible says, and you shall know the what truth and the truth shall make you free. The reason many people are bound is because they simply don't know the what truth. Any questions or any comments? Go ahead. Why do we celebrate Sunday? She asked instead of Saturday for the Sabbath. That's an excellent question. It's because although the Hebrew uh, Sabbath is on Saturday, when the Christians, even though the church, when it first started, was mostly Jewish people, Jesus was raised on Sunday. And so when they began to worship in their houses and homes, they began to worship on Sunday because that was the day that Jesus rose. And so we we have Sunday and we create that as Sabbath. We'll learn in the book of Romans that, uh, and we looked at that some in Colossians, don't let somebody hold you to a feast day or a Sabbath day. The principle is what we follow now. We're not held to have the Sabbath. We're not under the law anymore. We're under grace. We're not held to have the Sabbath on Saturday, but we are required to have a Sabbath because it's a principle God set there for our rest. God wants us to have what? Rest. But not under legalism. He wants it under grace and truth. Good question. Great question. Any other questions? <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. Yes. Well, possibly he's God. He's that powerful. He Creation is sustained through Christ. God sustains creation. He's capable of doing that. A lot of times when we, we expand creation, we say, well, creation couldn't be done in six days. No, you couldn't do it. But a God who created the sun and the sun is not nearly the biggest, biggest thing in the, in the, in the, in the multiverse of the many universes that are out there. He can do it because he's God. He can raise people from the dead. He can, he just spoke. We just saw he put, picked down a lump of clay, fashioned it, breathed into it, and it came to life. Tell me anything that he cannot do. <laughs> he cannot lie. That's true. Very good. Uh-huh. Yes. And until I was an adult, uh-huh. I started actually going to 
Evolution. Yes. And what she's saying for those who can't hear her on the stream is that she was raised with evolution and most people are. And that comes from Charles Darwin, origin of species. Um, does anybody know that Charles Darwin was a Christian? Yes. Charles Darwin was a Christian. When he wrote Origins of Species and he began to continue to study, he came to the conclusion, as most atheistic, atheistic people do when they continue to study, that there has to be an intelligent design and there has to be a creator. But you have people that came around with nihilism and all sorts of things and people like Frederick Nietzsche that said God was dead. And they used those works to try to say that we came from baboons and all sorts of things because our skeletons were similar, but they are not the same. And, and so because we don't know that people preach creation. But did you not know that evolution is faith? The, the teaching evolution is not science, it's faith, because here's the deal. Once again, scientifically, for something to be science and you have a controlled substance, it has to be measurable. Everybody say measurable. measurable. It has to be observable. Say observable. And it has to be repeatable. I have to be able to measure my theory against the control. I have to be able to observe the change. And then I have to be able to repeat it so to make sure that my theory is correct and true, right? If you can't do it, it's not science. It's faith. Is there anybody who was there to measure a baboon coming and becoming a human? Anybody to observe it? Has anybody been able to repeat it? <laughs> no. So atheism is a form of faith. Agnosticism is a form of faith. And evolutionism is a form of faith just like creationism is. And the farther you get into the study of, of, of science, you will realize that intelligent design is the only way. That no, listen to how silly that sounds. And now we're going to go because we're out, we're out of time, but those were good questions. I will tell you, anybody who asks, is there a God? I will give you a test. Put a leaf in your pocket. Just any, any leaf. As a matter of fact, um, let's stand up for a second. All right, turn around. Now, first I want you to pay completely. I want you to look at my desk. See everything that's on here, right? You see everything that's here. Mm -hmm. You got a good visual of it. Mm -hmm. You think you can remember it? Turn around for a second. Tell me for the most part, what do you see on my desk? Okay. Turn back around. What's out of place? The alto. The, the alto is out of place, right? Looks like you moved the tablet. I didn't move the tablet, but you noticed that the alto is there. How'd they get here? I'm assuming you picked them up and moved them. But you didn't see me put them there. Nope. So deductive reasoning stands. Deductive reasoning. Why? Because it's illogical to say that the Altoids just showed up on their mm -hmm. own. So it would be illogical to see something as infinitely wonderful as human creation, the mind, the brain, the synopsis, the atoms and subatomic particles, and look somebody in the face and seriously say, it just happened. It just happened on its own. That's a very illogical argument, isn't it? That's a faith. That's not a science. Very, very, very good. So I, I hope this has been enriching to some people, and I hope you got a lot out of this. And we just got to chapter one. Wow.
There's a, there's a lot there. Yeah. It is. It is a wonderful story. The Bible is full of wonderful, wonderful, wonderful things. Uh, Brother Bob, did you have a comment before we pray and we leave? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 